is Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Permac. On today's show, Jay-Z versus artificial intelligence, and Belgium asks its citizens for the best sort of solidarity. But first, the food supply chain in crisis. So last night, President Trump signed an executive order requiring meat processing plants to remain open. He did so via the Defense Production Act, which Trump has employed sporadically throughout the pandemic and says he also wants to include added personal protective equipment for processing plant workers and liability protections for employers. Expect lawyers to battle out almost all of that. Why it matters, though, is that America's food supply chain is breaking. That's the line used by the CEO of Tyson Foods, the country's second largest processor of chicken, pork, and beef. Trump's move is an effort to duct tape it together, but comes after much of the damage has already been done. Around 80 meat and food processing plants throughout the country have already reported cases of COVID-19, with at least 17 plant worker deaths, which have either shut facilities entirely or at least shut them temporarily for deep cleaning. And it's not the sort of industry that can have people work from home or even reasonably employ social distancing, at least not while maintaining anything close to the same level of production. The impact on consumers? Well, that's obvious. Less meat, particularly pork, where current production capacity is said to be off by at least 25%. The impact on meat farmers is devastating, as they've got all the normal expenses, plus the extra safety expenses and much less revenue. And then there's the impact on the animals. It's not going to save their lives. Instead, expect them to be euthanized without being consumed. The bottom line here is that while, yeah, there have been certain items that are hard to find on grocery store shelves, the country's overall food supply chain has remained robust throughout this crisis. But that may be changing, which creates a whole new host of health and safety problems. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Laura Riley, a business of food reporter with The Washington Post. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by The Washington Post, Laura Riley. So, Laura, let's start with President Trump's DPA order last night. Does this basically mean we're all good on the meat supply chain and everything's reopening this morning? I think that remains to be seen. There are all kinds of labor groups, uh, union people that are pushing back. My inbox is absolutely filled this morning with people saying this is an outrage. You know, worker safety is going to be compromised. This is not critical infrastructure. Obviously, this was all triggered by the full-page Tyson ad in the New York Times, Washington Post, Arkansas Democrat Gazette on Sunday that got President Trump's attention. Uh, John Tyson said, basically, the food supply chain is breaking. A little bit of hyperbole, but it certainly galvanized the powers that be. How much hyperbole was it? And and it's one thing to say is breaking right now, but were things to not were there not to either be some sort of government action or, or private business action or something to change? Is it hyperbole in two weeks from now, just from your perspective, kind of the way things are heading? It is a really complicated question to answer, and I'll tell you why. There is a lot of meat in the system right now, a lot of more meat in deep freeze than we've had in a long time. And a lot of that was slated for food service. A lot of that was slated as international trade and has gotten kind of hung up by COVID-19 outbreaks in other parts of the world. China, for instance, was going to buy a lot of our meat. I think they committed to, you know, an absurd amount of, of American agricultural products as kind of trade negotiations. And the easiest solution for them is to buy pork because their pork herd has been decimated. So a lot of meat that we have in the freezer was slated for other things. 
The problem in getting it to retail and getting it to consumers or food banks or whatever is it's not in formats that people can use. These are, you know, primal cuts of beef, huge pieces of pork. So basically it's frozen. In order to, you know, break it into tinier pieces, you'd need a pretty big chisel. So it's a matter of taking it back out, thawing it, whittling it down. And right now we don't have the meat processing workers to get that job done. So it's not a supply of meat per se. It's on the processing side. Can you explain to me a little bit that we've heard repeatedly that meat processing plants are not an easy place to social distance? It's not a cubicle office, obviously. Can you give me a sense? How densely packed are these facilities in terms of human beings? Elbow to elbow on either side of you. And then there's someone three feet across from you, you know, across the conveyor belt. Is that structurally necessary? In other words, is that being done for kind of productivity reasons? In other words, the more people you've got elbow to elbow, the more you can produce? Or is that because you really can't have somebody six feet away and and kind of conveyor belt? Trying to understand the practicality piece of it. Well, okay. So a traditional kind of food plant, let's say you're making green beans, you're on a line. Yeah, you can spread people out. It will still slow that line down a little bit. In meat, it's much different because you have a carcass that is moving down the line at a particular speed. You could slow it down a little bit, but you're making a cut the guy next to you is making the next cut, et cetera, et cetera. So it really is a almost a kind of a Henry Ford, you know, early factory line situation where each person's tiny piece builds on, you know, towards the next one. So it is really, really difficult. And then you have things where things get hung up. You need to hand palletize meat. And that is a group effort. There's no, you know, you're all shoulder to shoulder doing stuff like that. So it is a very, very difficult thing. And then you have break rooms, then you have locker rooms where people from different shifts are commingling. So it ends up being just a really difficult thing to have people social distance. And then you have, you know, PPE that doesn't work as effectively as for other kinds of factories. I mean, it's really hard to have you know, a mask and gloves and all these things on if you have a lot of finesse handwork to do. It seems when you see some of these shutdowns and you hear about multiple people, significant numbers of people in a single plant getting infected, is it fair to say that the meat processing employers at the companies didn't take the spread of infection threat seriously enough early enough? I don't think I have enough knowledge about what's going on in their heads to say that, but it certainly seems that way to me. I mean, there are estimates now that There have been reported cases of COVID-19 outbreaks in 79 plants, 20 workers dead, an estimated 6,500 sick. I guess I ask in the sense of, right, like certain plants were offering workers bonuses to come in, right? Folks who might have been concerned for their safety, but came in for the money. Certainly. And, you know, if we're talking about people who don't have a lot of clout, you know, it's a lot of non-native English speakers. It's a low income job and you often don't get paid for what you don't do. You don't get paid for not showing up. I'm assuming that there was a very strong incentive to keep things moving and some financial incentives to workers to show up even if they weren't feeling so hot. Final question for you. In some of the pieces you've written, you've talked about kind of uh, farm consolidation or meat production consolidation that we've seen over the past decade plus, you know, fewer small family farms, more big factory farms. Given that, are you expecting to see lots and lots of farm bankruptcies out of this or not necessarily since a lot of the smaller family farms are now, you could call them kind of more bespoke organizations rather than say the Tyson in the Smithfields of the world? It's different for different industries, okay? So most poultry is very vertically integrated. The Tysons, whoever, they own their animals. About 40% of pork is that way. Cattle ranching is not that way at all. So you still may have a small family 
cattle ranch that you sell your animals to the big guys. If those bottlenecks preclude the purchase of those animals, I think we will see in the beef sector in particular bankruptcies. They have a little more wiggle room in terms of the life cycle of those animals. You know, those animals live a couple of years as opposed to a chicken or a, the year that a, a pig will live. So they can sit on those animals a little bit of time, whether they're in a confinement feedlot or still on pasture. They can reduce the rations a teeny bit to slow growth a little bit, but all their money is tied up in those animals. And if there is a bottleneck at the processing plant and they can't get slaughtered, we're going to see some bankruptcies for sure. Laura Riley from the Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me today. My final two right after this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to DC. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Rock Nation, the entertainment agency founded and led by rapper Jay-Z. It recently filed copyright claims against the maker of certain deep fake music videos posted to YouTube. Specifically, these videos were software-aided impersonations, using Google software actually, which kind of put Jay-Z's voice in cadence over other content, like the to be or not to be soliloquy from Hamlet. YouTube originally removed and then reinstated the videos, but that hasn't stopped the copyright infringement claims. Why it matters is that some states have already passed laws banning or governing deepfakes when it comes to things like impersonating a politician or revenge porn. But we haven't seen it yet when it comes to what The Verge terms, quote, harmless entertainment. How this suit from Rock Nation gets resolved could become precedent setting. And finally, back to the food supply. Not America's, but Belgium's, where restaurant closures and other virus-related changes have resulted in a massive oversupply of potatoes. Specifically, 750,000 tons of potatoes will need to be thrown out if not soon consumed. And for context, that amount of potatoes could fill the holds of around 30,000 truck trailers. The solution? The Belgian government is asking all of its citizens to eat French fries at least twice per week. In an era where everyone is being asked to sacrifice something, this is clearly the most delicious request. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Zipper Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.